And they saw over time, and this was proven by the fact that they continued to support us, they saw over time that we were not just a tax shelter promoter right. who sold a bag of goods right. and closed shop and disappeared. We were there on the phones every day. People sent an email. People wrote a letter. People called. They got a response within an hour or 24 hours. Yeah. And we would go out and meet with them. There were those who over time started to waver, started to worry. They're getting annual letters from CRA. Sure. They're getting threats from CRA. So we would go out and meet with them. We'd sit for an hour, we'd sit for two hours, and we'd say, bring your tax lawyer, bring your tax accountant, bring your advisor, and we will explain to them why we are where we are, what CRA's arguments are, and why we believe ours are better, why theirs are flawed, and that I would say 9.9 .9 out of 10 times clients who were feeling like they didn't know if we were the ones to trust or right. not completely turned around and came back to us. That's and for 20 years, they've supported That's us. That's beautiful. Hi, my name is Dave Sanderson. Welcome to the Red Jacket podcast. At Red Jacket, we believe wealth is the fountainhead of flourishing not just for you and your family, but for a society. We work with clients who wanna grow and protect that wealth. And the greatest destroyer of that wealth is taxation. Direct taxation, income tax, corporate tax, and indirect taxation, inflation, which is built into the fiat monetary system. On this podcast, we share with you our insights, our experience, and our relationships, not just so that you can fight those forces, but so that you can exploit them. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Ken Gordon, thank you. Thank Thanks for you. doing this. Yeah, we've spent a lot Happy of time Abby. together. Yeah, yeah. We're, so we're at your cottage. Yeah, in Muskoka. Muskoka. What a great scene. We had dinner last night with Sandy. That was great to meet her. So um, let's get, I want to do your story. It's a great story. I remember hearing it for the first time at the Hyatt for over three hours and people need to know who you are and how we get here. Okay, so let's walk back. Let's go to, let's go to uh, articling. You articled where? I articled at, uh, at the time it was called Strathy, Archibald and Seagram, later merged with Gallings, became part of Gallings while I was there at the tail end of my articling. And then uh, I ended up after that, did not get hired back. Really? Which uh, ended up being a blessing in disguise because I, I asked them to send me to an entertainment law conference, which they happily did. And at the entertainment law conference, we're schmoozing, meeting people, and I knocked this lady's drink, spilled it all over. <laughs> Hattie Reisman, Harriet Reisman, who was formerly a lawyer at McMillan Finch. Okay. She was coming to help set up the office of Ian and Blakey in Toronto. Ian and Blakey, that's what I remember, right? We right. hit it off, we talked, we laughed, we had a lot in common, and she said, we're opening office. Why don't you come interview with us? Unbelievable. So Norman Bacall, who was the main partner from Montreal coming in to set up the office, he was their internationally known expert in, in tax-structured finance, entertainment law, financing films, financing television series. So she said, Norm's coming in next week. Come sit with us. We'll chat, see how it goes. We hit it off. Norm had a, I had a lot in common. He did physics in undergrad and 
math and, and so did I. And, um, he said, okay, we want you to come join us. So I joined. Wow. I was the fourth lawyer. They had four partners and I was a junior and I worked with Norman for the next several years and learned everything, like basically how to close deals, how all the deals worked, how the tax worked how all the corporate commercial structures, the structured finance, how you isolate assets so that they don't get mixed or commingled with other assets, how to optimize the tax and make it work within the confines of the law. And it was uh, just a fabulous experience. I was scared to death at first. I had no idea what I was doing. And then I just figured it out with uh, kind of it's a sink or swim situation, right? You just, you have to learn. I'm just, I'm listening to that. I'm thinking about your son who's now articling or going back to Goodman's and in, in tax law, right? Yeah. Amazing. Right. Zach loves tax law. <laughs> and great at math. All right. So what year are we talking about when you joined Hane and Blakey? Hane and Blakey was 88, 89. Okay. And in so you're doing is it all film deals at that point or when did the film deals start the film deals were in high swing then right they were developing through the late 80s norman had developed some structures that um he he had to create a structure that effectively reduced or eliminated commercial risk because historically the film deals of the 70s and early 80s people were they didn't work well. The tax went fine, but there were commercial risk uh, exposure. There was some exposure on the debt. Some people weren't happy. They lost money. So we, Norman completely redid the deals and created this sort of central, I hate to use the term circularity, but a, a relationship between the parties through the business that allowed money to flow and be put on deposit to secure the payment of the debt. So, and, and the Income Tax Act at the time allowed that. So you weren't violating the at-risk rules. You were actually exempt from the at-risk mm -hmm. rules, provided you did it within the confines of the act. And so that allowed people to take on significant commercial exposure without practical commercial risk and allowed the leverage plus cash to flow through, fund the project, and then ultimately pay off the debt on maturity. And those deals grew and grew and grew. So you're you're working directly with Norman. You're busy as uh, as you can be. This is the early part of your legal career. How many years do you do you do that before you leave and become the client? I worked there till ninety two, and we worked. I worked many days, yeah, seven yeah. days a week. Yeah, like the, many nights. The humidex on that is two decades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there were nights when I worked till four in the morning. Yeah. Went home, showered, came back at seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I, it was hard to put up. Yeah, yeah. Doing no, yeah. And then um, there was, I, I love the people in the firm, but there was one, one person who I would have preferred not to work with. Yeah. And uh, I actually asked Norman if he would mind when he put together the teams. They always had teams to attack the huge number of film projects that had to close at the end of the year. He put together teams. And this individual, who I won't name, always asked for me to be on his team. Mm. And I did not want to be on his team. So I said to Norman, Norman, just this year, don't put me on his team. He said, okay, I hear you, I hear you. Two weeks later, I'm on his team. Right. 
And at that point, I said, you know what? I've learned enough. It's time for me to leave. So I said, I said, I'll stay till February when the season's over. And then I'm going to leave. And I'd like to, I'd like to set up my own firm and start funding films. So I had a friend who was in LA who was a writer and he said, I'll help you access films from LA. We'll bring them to Canada. I had a third friend who actually, you, I think you know, Bob, Bob yeah, yeah, yeah. from Steichman's. He yeah. had done his law MBA. Yeah. He left Steichman's, worked for a while at, was it Wood Gundy? Or, or I think it was Wood Gundy. Wood yeah. Gundy. Then he left. We became partners. The three wow. of us worked together, set up a company called Trilogy Capital. And we started to bring some movies from the U.S. to Canada and finance using this structure. Okay. So Feb 92, you finish at Heenan. That's how many years of doing, doing. It's really just about three years. Yeah. And then you and Bob and the LA guy start, what's it called? Trilogy Capital. Trilogy. Okay. And so walk us through sort of 92 to, I'm going to pick 98 just because uh, that's when things really start picking up. So what happens? So in our first year, it was, it was a tough slog. We, uh, we had brought two small film projects from the U.S. We had about $7 million of finance. We were kind of novices at this. Yeah. And I remember calling up Norman after I left as the client. I said, you know, will you act for us? He said, absolutely. I'm happy to act for you. I brought, we brought in the two film producers. He met with them. It was very strange for me. Okay, so Trilogy. Uh, walk me through the first part of that. How does it go? You're now 31 years old. You're on your own. You're, you're bringing producers from LA out to Toronto. You're trying to fund these deals. And I knew exactly how to structure them. I knew exactly how they worked. I understood all of the pieces, but I hadn't done the business before. So it took me a little while to figure out how to deal with a producer, how to make sure this project happened in Canada so we could finance it and, and uh, make it work. And then I had to figure out how to raise the money for it. And these producers are literally raising money to make a film to have some commercial success. And the commercial success of that film is impactful on the investors. Right. So you have to be predictive of <laughs> what's going to work in all. Although Hollywood. primarily the investors were focused on the tax. Yeah. They recognized that the significant amount of the upside was going to be retained by the producer right, and right, only right. after they exceeded a certain threshold they would share the right. participation right. so for that for most of the investors it was it was a, a tax deferral okay so you got you got growing pains you got all those things get us into the late uh 90s because i i was reading before this there's four film deals in 98 there's 87 film deals in 99 and then specifically, they mentioned Sentinel Hill, which is you, which did 1.2 billion in 2000, 2000. right? So th this is so your the story. Growth was, the growth was really mind-boggling because right. our first year we did seven million, yeah. two small films, and had trouble raising money. And, right. and all of a sudden, people started putting the money down, saying, "I'm interested." Next year, we did 29 million. The year after that, did 65 million. The year after that, 99 million. And then so we're into over 197 ish there. That's and then right, 100 million. And then Sentinel Hill is a billion too. And that's, that's you guys. Yeah. That was, and three partners. Yeah. yeah. So um, I did it with Brad Sherman, who was formerly of um, Grosvenor Park. Right. Rob Struther, 
who was a tax partner heading the tax department at Davison Company, uh, and uh, Paul Dark, who had been with a competitor called Monarch Entertainment. He had been their CFO, and he had effectively, they thought the business was shut down. He was let go, and he had an idea about how to potentially restart the business under a revised Income Tax Act rules. So this is, we're, we're now going to switch we're that. Now okay. We're now into, so Equigenesis effectively merges, not legally, but effectively from a business perspective with Sentinel Hill. So, so the broad stroke is you do uh, nine years of film deals and then the legislation changes and we don't want to support the fund, the film business as much anymore. So those deals are gone. Those right? deals are gone. Your business is gone. And you switch now to Equigenesis, which is what we're here to talk about, right? So that year is what year? That year was 1999. Okay. So 19, or But Sentinel Hill you did in 2000. 19, we started in 90, at the end of 98 to 99. Okay. So here's what happened. 1998, the law changed. Okay. People thought at the end of 97, film deals were dead. Right. Paul Dark shows up at Rob Struthers' office in Vancouver during 1998 and says, you know, these new rules, I've got an idea. It's kind of a crazy idea. I think under these new rules, we can make something work. He went to Rob and Rob said, you know, Paul, I think it's a good idea. Let me play with it a little bit to build on it. And he called Paul back a week or two later, said, I think I've got an idea. I'm going to go for a tax ruling. Okay. I think we can make this work. Okay. And they were doing it all quietly, hush, hush. And they did their business deal was Rob said, look, I won't charge you any money. And I think the odds are 5% will get a ruling. You're getting a ruling on what though? You're getting a tax ruling on, on Sentinel Hill, what they were starting. So Sentinel Hill Equigenesis wasn't yet right. part of Sentinel Hill. This was happening separately. Right. But the rule advance ruling was on film? On film. Okay. So let's get to the end of the film because we want to switch to Equigenesis. So okay, so yeah. he got basically he got a ruling. Rob left Davison Company. Right. Brad and I joined them, and we did about three to four billion dollars over the next several years. So you extended the film deal years until to the end of two thousand one. Okay, and the law changed again, and it was done. Okay, so now we have final law change. Film deals are done, and you're sitting around having had great success. Lots of dough. Trying to figure out what to do. What to do next. And out of that comes this product. So walk us out through. Out of that comes this yep. product. And we basically, I, I, I felt that the basic structural elements that we used to limit commercial risk, to create tax benefits, could be applied to other situations other than film. Okay. I knew film wasn't going to work anymore. But we thought if you create a structure with a with an underlying investment that effectively defers its income for a period of time, creating tax benefits and raising investment income on the strength of the, that deferral and the underlying tax benefits, you can create a very interesting, powerful product. So you're in boardrooms, you're working with the tax lawyers, you're trying to construct this thing. I've been in those rooms. I know how that goes. Um, you launched the version one in 2003. 2003. It's called what? It was called the Equigenesis 2003 Preferred Investment Limited Partnership and Donation Program. Okay. So 2003. 
That is the product that we're still talking about today. There's been some changes, but at the lifespan of the product we're talking about for people today is from 2003 to 2022. Right, version, it's been right? around a long time. 19 years. And it's now proven. We're, we're going to get there right on. So you launch in 2003. This is a brand new structure that nobody's got any association with. It's not a quote unquote film deal. It's not, you know, you have to teach people what this structure is. So no one's ever seen it before. Right. Um, how does it go? How's the first few years? We got two well-known major law firms to support us, gave us opinions, yeah. which allowed us to present it to the sophisticated tax community as a product with merit. Yeah. And we had a sufficient reputation from Sentinel Hill and existing client relations that people wanted to hear about. Okay. They thought if we knew what we were doing on film, yeah. we likely knew what we were doing with this. And it was quite a powerful product. It was financially more attractive than the film deals, wow. which had generated significant following. Wow. So we brought it to market and the first year was a little tough, but uh, we did very well. What does that mean? How much? Uh, let's see. The first year, probably $100 million, mm -hmm. uh, the first year. That, um, and then the second year, $150, $160 million. Okay. But we had the problem that we were facing at that time is we had added in an element, two, two components of the structure. There was the investment which was highly tax efficient, created a deferral and significant tax benefits, which was very attractive. And we were used to having clients who wanted more of a tax benefit earlier on. And so we added a component to it. We figured if we took the investment and allowed investors to pledge it as security for a loan and give the proceeds of the loan to a charity, reputable Canadian charity, the charity would then reinvest the proceeds back in the structure and the loan would pay down like a, an endowment fund to the charity over the life of the investment. Mm -hmm. And so we got some charities who were interested, who did very well with it, and investors were interested and it gave investors a significant tax benefit in the first year. So that's what we did in 2003, 4, 5, and 6. Sure. And then the problem we faced was there were competitors in a, diff in a similar space with a very different concept where they created a tax benefit for borrowing money on non-commercial terms and lending it to a charity and the charity never made money and never got any money out of it. And the problem was CRA, for very good reason, attacked those deals. And those deals developed a reputation in the marketplace of effectively abusing the rules in the Income Tax Act that were designed to help charities. Our structure was real. It was commercial debt, full recourse, that as the investment grew, would pay off the loan and all that money would flow to the charity. CRA attacked. They were attacked. Attack you too. Attacked us. Okay, so let's, let's go we through We were that. thrown that's in a, with threat. That's an important part of this story. Okay, so, so you've issued 03 to 07. And what happens? By uh, 2006, CRA was auditing. An auditor came in. He was at first extremely negative, predisposition, was convinced he what he was going to see he wasn't going to like. Mm -hmm. 
We spent a lot of time with him, and thankfully, he was he was smart. He was one of their senior auditors, mm -hmm. and over time, we developed an interesting rapport with him. And over time, when he studied the structure, he became enthralled. <laughs> so you've issued in 07, right? We've issued, we stopped in 07. We did three, four, five, and six. Right. And then when we saw Sierra was auditing, auditing, we okay. stopped. Okay. Our view was we don't want to be exposing our clients in right. any way until we know what CRA's position right. is. How long does that take? So it took from late 2006 into January 2009. Wow. We didn't issue any at all. Okay. 2007, the auditor comes to us and says, look, I believe your deal works. Ottawa doesn't want to approve it. Okay. I'll try and convince them, but I don't have a lot of sway. Right. Like, basically, they're not going to accept it. Uh, so, in 2007, they challenged and attacked our 2003 deal. Okay. 2008, they challenged and attacked our 2004 deal. Right. Which means what, by the way? All your clients are getting letters from CRA. They're all getting letters from yeah. CRA, and the letters are over the top. Are they coming from the aggressive tax planning yes. division? Yeah. But when aggressive tax planning takes a position, they throw anything and everything at the wall. Mm -hmm. Their view is, we are going to hit this with a devastating letter that basically says none of it works. It's all a sham. Mm-hmm. And Did they use that word? Yes. In 2004, they used that word, yeah. which was ultimately proven to be far from the truth. But at the time, was quite upsetting mm -hmm. to us and, of course, the client. Right. 2005 and six programs were also audited by the same auditor. Okay. They were slightly improved. These kind of these programs or these structures have a life of their own, and over time, you improve them. You find better ways, better way to create a stronger, more attractive, more defensible structure. Yeah. 2005 and six, we added in some improvements, which are the version that we're seeing today. Okay. And we've seen ever since then. Okay. So he audited 2005 and six, and he said, these are way better than three and four. These work. And he set about to convince his boss in Ottawa that they work. And he got the boss in Ottawa to fly down, meet with the lawyers for the charity that was the recipient of all of the value generated by these structures. And ultimately, they backed away. Wow. And they had him, or he chose, based on their decision, to issue hundreds of letters to all of our clients. In 2005 and six. there were probably 300, 350 clients personal letters that said, we have terminated our audit. There will be no adjustments or reassessments. Okay. And those deals went for 20 years and for 20 years, not a single dollar was ever attacked, ever challenged, ever denied. But we still had to fight 03 and 04. Okay. So be, we got that those letters and I got one of those letters myself because I buy everything right. I sell. Right. I do not sell anything that I'm not prepared to buy myself. Yeah. So I got those letters January 28, 2009, and we jumped for joy. We were happy. Right. Clients were happy. And then we decided that based on our discussions with the auditor, we would restructure 
and amend 2003 and 4 so that they would effectively emulate all of the elements in 5 and 6 that the CRA had been happy with, hoping that it would, over time, allow us to convince the appeals department that really 3 and 4 were close enough and now they're effectively materially the same, therefore they should work. So you get these letters in January, you you say in January of 2009, so you're going to create product for 2010 with great confidence because CRAs come in and said, this is good, right? We actually created in 2009, okay. 10, 11, 12. Okay. Then what happened? And it went well. Yeah. Went quite well. Are you selling more because it's kind of been, if you feel like you've- We're selling enough. Okay. We're not blowing the doors off it, but we're selling enough. Clients are happy and it was a, it was very successful. Okay. And we generate huge amounts of money for charities out of it. How much, by the way, over, to- over time? Well, now today we're coming up to about $150 million. $150 million real dollars Cash. to real charities. Cash right? for charities. So we'll get there. Okay, let's go back to you're issuing away. You feel great because you kind of passed the audit. Then what happens? Then all of a sudden, 2013, after the auditor retires, his boss in Ottawa does an about face. Okay. And decides, well, I can't go back and attack 05 and 06 because we've sent letters telling them they work. So we're going to attack 9, 10, 11, and 12. So, and it's mainly the donation part thereafter, not the investment. But as is characteristic with the CRA, they attack everything. All right. We know they're focused on the donation. They're saying this can't be real. It can't work the way it's supposed to work. It's There's got to be a trick. There's got to be something wrong here. It's too attractive, so they attack everything. We then hire Oslers. So everybody gets a, a letter that says, give us information. Then the clients are then sending the information, or you maybe on their behalf. And then finally, there's a proposal letter from CRA, right? Saying, we don't, we don't buy it for these reasons. You, Mr. Taxpayer, you owe us a lot of money. That's how that's going, right? And they issue a series of reassessments right. going back four years right. to the first year of participation in these structures okay. and start to, on a rolling basis denying all the right. tests. So your clients are just getting letters from CRA, right? Lots of them. The good news is our clients trust us. Yeah. They trust us to take care of them. Okay. Many of them, they have a, you know, clients have a varying degree of sophistication. Some of them very sophisticated, some of them not so. The not so very often rely on their own tax advisors to review it. And we continually did two things for our clients. In fact, three things. We funded the defense so they didn't have to fund it. We hired the best legal counsel and took care of responding to every CRA letter and every requirement to file a notice of objection to protect and preserve the investor's rights year after year while CRA is challenging the tax benefits. Unbelievable. That's so, I understand what that means. That's just a huge, and not when you say, I know you're only on two out of three, but you hired the best. So you're talking about Al Maisie and his team at Oslers who had fought and won Canada Trusco and was just gigantic. Michelle Canada. I mean, this this is, for those who don't know, this is Michael Jordan at the time of tax litigation. They were fantastic. And you hired them. 
Yeah. They're fantastic. Okay. What we, was the third piece? Third piece is we reported and reported and reported. To communicate. With we communicate yeah. and we made sure we had ongoing. Every three months, we gave them detailed updates, right. pages of analysis, thought, even more than a client might possibly need. Right. But we knew that many of them would hand it to their tax advisors. Right. So their advisor would read it and their advisor would tell them, well, what they're doing makes sense. Their arguments make sense. Their position is reasonably solid or sound, depending on what their position was. But we were able to retain about 98% of the clients supporting us. Meaning they lost just about, cave in and write the check. And it was essential because what separates our structure from all other tax shelters I've ever seen or been involved in over my 30 years in this mm -hmm. business is our structures are living structures. Year after year, things happen. The business is run. Investments are made. Tax reporting happens. Investors put in money. So you have to keep the clients happy and comfortable that you and they have interests that are mutually mm -hmm. aligned and you are working towards a common goal. And they saw over time, and this was proven by the fact that they continue to support us, they saw over time that we were not just a tax shelter promoter right. who sold a bag of goods right. and closed shop and disappeared. We were there on the phones every day. People sent an email, people wrote a letter, people called, they got a response within an hour or 24 hours. And we would go out and meet with them. There were those who over time started to waver, started to worry. They're getting annual letters from CRA. Sure. They're getting threats from CRA. So we would go out and meet with them. We'd sit for an hour, we'd sit for two hours, and we'd say, bring your tax lawyer, bring your tax accountant, bring your advisor, and we will explain to them why we are where we are, what CRA's arguments are, and why we believe ours are better, why theirs are flawed, and that I would say 9.9 .9 out of 10 times clients who were feeling like they didn't know if we were the ones to trust or right. not completely turned around, came back to us. That's for 20 years, they've supported That's beautiful. Through from three, four, five, six, and then nine, 10, 11, 12. So, okay. That, that, huge. Uh, that really is. I remember when I first heard that story, I just, I admire what you've done. And it's not just talk. You've done it. You've done it for 20 years. You wrote, I won't say the number, but it's in the millions of dollars to fund that litigation. And um, so, you know what? Kudos to you. That's a really special place you occupy in this industry. Thanks very much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions or maybe you have something to add to the conversation, we're at redjacket.ca. And on the website, you'll see the phrase relationships matter. We really believe that and encourage you to start one with us. Thanks again for listening.